Hello, friends. Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Dr. Zach Jenkins, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice, has become one of the leading infectious disease experts in Ohio. He is also a big hit with the media. Over the last four months, Zach has been interviewed over 60 times by media, from the East Coast to the West Coast and many places in between. His calm demeanor, insightful research, and clear presentation of the facts have made him a voice of reason in the midst of uncertainty, fear, and anxiety. For Zach, scientific facts can inform, but it's faith that calms the storm. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thanks, Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, your host, and today I'm returning to the topic of the coronavirus with arguably one of the leading infectious disease experts in Southern Ohio. He is Dr. Zach Jenkins, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Cedarville University. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. By the way of introduction, Dr. Jenkins completed his postgraduate pharmacy practice residency with Summa Health System, where he focuses training in adult internal medicine, and infectious disease. Throughout both his undergraduate and postgraduate education, Dr. Jenkins was frequently involved in teaching medical and pharmacy students at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Dr. Jenkins' research interests include subjects related to the infectious diseases, and he maintains a clinical practice in infectious disease at Atria Medical Center and Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton. During the coronavirus, Dr. Jenkins has been interviewed by Christian and secular media throughout the country, and we're going to talk about that today in the podcast. These interviews have taken place with media in Miami, Spokane, Washington, Indianapolis, Virginia, and of course, Columbus, Cincinnati, and Dayton. For the record, before the coronavirus took hold in the United States, Dr. Jenkins had participated in three media interviews. But as of this recording today, He's done more than 65. So my first question, Zach, is what's it like to be a star with so many media? <laughs> I don't know if I call myself a star, but uh, it's definitely been a whirlwind ever since the coronavirus started. I think the most challenging thing is just trying to stay up to date on all the information out there, not just medical literature, but also the news blurbs that are out there, social media posts, you name it. So... When this flurry started to take place, and it was a flurry, how did you get up to speed so quickly to be able to articulate what's going on so the average viewer or listener or reader could understand? Well, I would say that I think for me, being plugged into a lot of really reliable sources was very helpful. And then also my network in the field of infectious disease in the field of pharmacy was also very helpful. So as news was starting to evolve, I was kind of a little bit ahead of of schedule, so to speak, when it came to reviewing some of this information before it became kind of this international incident. But truth be told, I I think a lot of it is just long, hard hours just reading through things as they're presented to me, which has been awfully challenging considering how much misinformation and questionable data that we have. So this reading and research is that something that you would normally be doing just so you're up to speed in your practice and teaching? So, you know, it's really important for any healthcare professional to try to stay up on things in whatever field they're a part of. 
So I definitely have that integrated into my lifestyle in general. I have to read medical literature as it comes out. But I think what's different with the coronavirus is the fact that this stuff is just kind of evolving uh, as, as opposed to, you know, a slow process. It's just rapid, rapid, rapid information. So that, that's been the biggest challenge for me is just kind of adapting the scope and the, the frequency that I have to stay engaged with all this material. Yeah. So I was thinking about um, all the interviews that you've done and, and the various media markets across the country. I would guess you're probably surprised that so many media have been calling you for expert opinions. Is that a fair assessment? That's a very fair assessment. I think, you know, it's, it's humbling in a lot of ways that you are getting questions thrown your way. And I think it just really speaks to the fact that people are really looking for answers. And so for right. my part, all I try to do is to speak to people where they're at with whatever information I have as I best understand it. Yeah. And with all the media work that you've done, I'm curious, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, but is there an interview or two that comes out in your mind right now or sticks out in your mind like uh, as a favorite or a memorable one? I would say that I, I think the ones that I really have appreciated are, are some of the townhouses that we've done at Cedarville. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed the one that I did with Mark Caleb Smith. I thought that was great dialogue that we had just about reopening the economy. And I think it really spoke to where people were at. And so for me, that was probably my favorite. Outside of that, I could think of some things that were uh, <laughs> memorable in the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I follow up with the media after you know, they do interviews with you and anyone else for, for that matter. And uh, what they say is they, they really appreciate the insight that you have, but the ability for you to communicate it in a way that makes sense to the average person. So what you're doing is perfect and, and meeting a, an important need in our country. So I want to thank you for that. Transitioning a little bit from the interviews to COVID-19, in a way, what do you find rewarding when you're answering COVID questions? You may have answered this a little bit ago, but what brings you great satisfaction in doing these interviews? I think for me, it's very evident how much chaos there is in, in our country at this point in time. And so people are kind of left wondering what to believe, what should I be afraid of? And so, so my goal is to try to dispel as much fear as I can, because at least from my perspective, while this is a serious issue, this is by no means an apocalyptic event, but it's something we have to learn to live with. So I like to empower people with whatever facts that I can to help them to learn to live with the virus. And helping people function and live with the virus is something you're doing at Cedarville University right now. You're on the returning to campus committee? That's correct. So what's all part of that committee? What are you guys doing that is helping shape the start of a new school year for Cedarville. I think the big challenge with COVID has been, as each state is dealing with things independently, and there's so many different things and so many different angles that, that our governments have to cover, information about how we should be approaching reintegration of life as normal has been sort of slowly rolling out from that administrative level. And so for us at Cedarville, what that really means is as we look towards the fall and restarting, we've had to be ahead of that information even before guidelines are provided to us by the state government. So for us, we've had to come up with what reintegration of students on campus is going to look like, how is life going to be once students start back. And using the best available data and our best understanding of it, we're trying to make sure that people have a really real safe reentry while still trying to abide by the recommendations provided by the uh, state and federal government. So our challenge has really been taking all that information and saying, what does this look like at Cedarville? And are you encouraged by what the plan looks like for Cedarville when the students return back in August? 
You know, I'm definitely encouraged. I, I think as we look at things, there, there are things that I think are practical and things that I think are impractical. And so I know, at least from my perspective, I've always tried to aim at practical implementations of these things, things that I think we can realistically do with our resources, with our personnel. Right. And I'm encouraged that the cabinet has really taken that information and they've run with it to try to put the best plan that we can together for Cedarville. So definitely encouraged at this point in time. That's good. That's good to hear. So it's good to hear that you're encouraged with the start of the school year coming up in August. We're recording this July 21st. And while we're recording this, the coronavirus is resurging across the country. My question to you regarding the surge, are wearing face masks enough to be a solution for the surge? I think face masks by themselves will be helpful, but not helpful enough. And so you really have to look at all these things as layers to really help prevent the spread of the virus while we buy ourselves time to build up some of the resources that we need to fight it down the road. So like I said, this is something we have to live with. And until we have a vaccine or we've achieved herd immunity, which is probably going to take a while to do it in a uh, safe and uh, least impactful way to, to our country, this is kind of one of those things that we put in place to help protect us. So you have to layer that on top of things like distancing, uh, good hand hygiene, good disinfection practices, and other things that we would normally encourage during your typical flu season, quite honestly. And that's one thing people have been, from the very beginning of the coronavirus, as we've tried to understand and learn it, people have equated it to the flu. Is that a fair uh, comparison? Um, in some ways, yes. In other ways, no. I think the biggest thing we're seeing right now is the virus doesn't seem to be seasonal, whereas the flu typically is seasonal. Um, True. And, and as far right. as mortality goes, based on what we understand so far, this is definitely a more serious virus. It's, it's not in the order of magnitude where you're seeing tens of millions of people, um, unfortunately, passing from it at once or anything like that. But it is definitely more serious than your typical flu. So mortality is definitely a bit higher. Complications are also wacky. We're seeing lots of blood clots and issues with, with people's heart beyond what we would normally expect. So things that we wouldn't have anticipated or are really seeing with this virus. I'm talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins, uh, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Cedarville University, and he's become one of the leading infectious disease uh, experts in the southern part of Ohio, maybe the state. And we're talking right now about the coronavirus. And so I want to continue a little bit before we move into more of a personal side of Zach Jenkins's story. And that is because there's a lot of talk in our country whether K-12 through students should return to school because of the pandemic, the virus. What's your take on that situation? And what would you counsel political leaders as they work through this uh, situation? It's a tough question. And I'll tell you, I feel that very personally. Uh, my wife is a third grade teacher. So I think for, for mm. us, we've had lots of discussions on what that can look like. Um, my wife also used to teach first grade. And so I can kind of speak to the fact that our children are typically walking germ factories Right. Um, and you'd be right. surprised how often she has to encourage them to wash their hands as an example. So, so what does that mean in the realm of COVID? I really think if we take a step back, uh, the first thing we have to do is look at how seriously this has impacted our children. To date, uh, our children have had the least complications when they've had the virus in contrast to adults. So children tend okay. to fare a lot better. They tend to be a lot more resilient. There, there, are, there is a proportion of students out there, um, of children out there, that suffer from what they would call a multi-organ uh, inflammatory syndrome in children, or MISC for short. It's another grouping of symptoms, kind of like COVID is a grouping of symptoms, but that, that we see in kids, but it's really, really rare. 
And so what that really tells us is, at least this tells me, I think we can get back to a place where we can go to school with our children. It's manageable, um, especially when you look at the fact that children don't seem to be super spreaders. So right. Data is kind of leaning in favor of, of putting children back in school. The question is how you do it. And, and it's really all down to implementation. That's the tough part. And every system, every district is probably going to look different on some level. I know my wife just had some guidelines sent to her from her district. And she was telling me how overwhelmed she felt when she read them. Wow. So as a husband to a third grade teacher, and also knowing that you have expertise as an infectious disease expert, uh, you're, you're good with your wife going back to teach third graders right now. I am. I am. Um, I think as long as everyone's taking good precautions, most people will remain safe. There's some studies out of, I think it was Sweden or Germany, one of those two countries. I, I mixed those two up, to be honest, with these studies. Uh, but but there was a study that actually came out, and what they showed is as they reintegrated children into school, the rates of infection in children increased, but the rates of infection in adults stayed about the same. So that kind of yeah. goes back to what I said, where children don't seem to be the primary spreaders of the virus. So the people at risk in this situation, in, in a school setting, really is the teachers or the staff people because they're older. Correct. So I, I chuckled when you said a little bit ago about uh, your wife or other teachers of young kids have to remind those little students that they need to keep washing their hands, or whatever. I mean, that happens today with adults. Uh, <laughs> I can easily forget that when I pick up a newspaper on the, my driveway or something, that it could be contaminated in some way and I, I need to wash my hands. Uh, you got to really think in different ways. And um, you've done a good job of hammering that home uh, in, your, in your interviews. I want to continue a little bit on, on the pandemic and tie it in a little bit with the racial tension that's taking place in our country. We're very well aware of it. With the pandemic, with the racial tension, there's a lot of fear in our country. There, it seems to be rampant. How are you able to stay calm as a husband, a father, a leader in healthcare, and as an educator? What's your grounding source? What helps you stay focused and calm to lead effectively? You know, I was oddly enough just writing about this a little bit earlier. For me, I think it kind of comes down to this. Um, you know, we have science, which is kind of a helpful tool for us to view God's creation. And it's not perfect on its own because it's subject to how we interpret things and we're imperfect people. And so facts are helpful and we should rely on those to the best of our ability and test them constantly. And then we should compare what that says to the word of God. And, and where we see conflict, we lean on the side of God in that case, obviously. But really what that comes down to is where facts fail us, faith won't. And that's what I kind of have to remind myself. I look to Psalm 91, where it talks about how when we put our focus in God, when we pray to him, he'll be with us in those times of trouble. And so for me, that's where I'm trying to live to the best of my ability. And I'm not perfect to that by any means. And I struggle and I get frustrated, especially with how I see us as a church respond sometimes to these crises. So I try to ground myself as much as I can with that. And I surround myself with people that also, I, I hope, try to ground me as well. Sure. And, and what you just said triggered a couple of thoughts in my head. So I want to go this way. So in terms of the church, when I say the church, I'm talking as much about the building and the services inside the church, because churches are open now. But I see churches resisting the mask a lot. I see them not social distancing very well when I watch certain services. Why is that? And 
have you had an opportunity to speak into that topic? That's a that's a hot button topic right there. It is. Um, so I have a few thoughts on that. The, the first is, from what I understand, everything I know, everything I've been trained with, all of the data I've read, the literature, et cetera, right. I, I lean in favor of masks. That's where seem, That seems to be where things are, are pointed right now as being the most helpful for people. Is it possible I'm wrong? Sure. Sometimes facts fail us and our interpretation fails us. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. With that said, I, I think people are doing their best to kind of navigate the murky waters that they're in the same way I am. And, and so, unfortunately, this, what should be a public health issue, has kind of been turned into a partisan issue, um, not by any singular individual, but by lots of people moving things in a direction. And so they lean towards whatever view politically, I think, right. I think pairs up with the mask issue. Right. So for me, it's, it's tough to be honest with you sometimes because I, I have an opinion and I can agree to disagree with people and I can do it in a loving way. Our pastor just got, gave up a big sermon about gentleness on, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And what it comes down to, it's, it's really uh, strength under control. And so if I were to respond in a negative way to what's going on and really kind of lash out at people, I don't think that would really be promoting the kingdom of God or binding people together. And as tough as these things are, the best thing I can say to people is you can disagree with me on mass. I hope that you don't. But really, we can't let that stuff divide us as a group. This is our time to stand together. In the midst of a crisis, this is where people should be looking to the church. We cannot fight against each other that way. There's enough division outside of the church. And as you said, the church is where the unity and harmony should be. Zach, this has been uh, really uh, good. I hope our our listeners are enjoying this information and just getting to know you. Uh, I want to transition to really Zach Jenkins, the person. Uh, not Zach Jenkins, the infectious disease expert. And it's to me, getting to know who Zach Jenkins is begins with getting to know Zach Jenkins's spiritual journey. So could you tell our listeners, walk us through uh, your spiritual journey, where you met the Lord and bring us up to speed with that. So I actually uh, grew up in the church. Uh, my, my family brought me to church every Sunday and I, I had some great role models between both of my parents. And I came to know the Lord at a uh, very young age, actually, as part of my Awana program I was in. And la- later on in life, I, I kind of decided I wanted to get into healthcare. Mm-hmm. I felt God was kind of pulling me that direction. Honestly, I, I didn't expect I ever wanted to teach. You know, those tests you take in high school that tell you what you're going to be when you grow up. So, so my test, it told me I would be a teacher. Uh. And I laughed at that. <laughs> there's no way. And then, then it said that healthcare is an option. I was like, okay, I, I think I could do that. But, but, you know, God's got a sense of humor about that. I entered into grad school eventually and uh, discovered that I really enjoyed teaching. I had some student teaching opportunities, really liked, liked uh, seeing the light bulb click with people as I worked with them. And I, I started to feel like, uh, hopefully this is, doesn't sound pretentious to say, I, I started to feel like maybe I had some gift. Yeah. When I went past that and I eventually went into residency and I started looking for jobs, I ultimately applied to two different places one of which, and I won't name names, but it was a very prestigious institution. And it honestly, on paper, it was gold. It would have had about everything I could want in my career professionally. Yeah. I had all my friends and family up that way. I was actually dating someone who was not, who's not my wife at that time. But that same day, I had a job offer down here at Cedarville. And it was this uh, little, at that point in time for the school pharmacy was a brand new right. program. A lot of my colleagues mocked the idea of a Christian pharmacy school. 
and it wasn't an easy decision, but honest to goodness, I really felt God pulling me down this way. And that's honestly been one of the best decisions I've ever made. You know, within a month of being down here, I met my wife. Wow. Then, uh, you know, I, being a part of the school of pharmacy, I've been able to impact more people through working with those students than I ever could on my own. Yeah. And I've had so many opportunities that I wouldn't have had had I gone with the prestigious name and everything. So I want to keep going, though, on your story. You've been at Cedarville seven years. That's correct. You haven't been married very long then. If you met your wife when you started, so give me that story. How did you meet your wife? <laughs> Tell me all about this. So, so uh, we're, we're going on six years of marriage. Um, okay. My, my story there was, you know, I, as I mentioned before, I was dating someone else before I headed down this way, and I knew that that was going to create some tension. But we were going to do the, quote, long distance thing. <laughs> and... <laughs> Within a week, we broke up. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, in, in, in the past, I, I think I had, I think for me, I was always kind of looking for that thing and trying to cling to things so, so strongly. But at that point, I was like, eh, I don't care, whatever. I'm here. I'm supposed to do all these things down here. I'm here for a reason. And so I was like, eh, I don't know anyone. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go sign, sign up for one of those dating websites. So I did that. <laughs> and oh, okay. It's hilarious because I used to mock those all the time. <laughs> but, uh, the first person I met was my wife. Serious. So Seriously. where, where her mom signed her up, her mom signed her up. Uh, where, yeah. where is she originally from? She's actually from the Middletown area slash Monroe area. Okay. And you're from the Cleveland area, Akron area. Is that right? I'm from the Akron area. Yeah. Okay. So, it, so Cedarville is a special place for you guys, not only because that's where you work and where you minister, but obviously it, that, that brought uh, you and your wife together. What's the hardest thing for you, you're on this dating site. Is it mental to like, what am I doing? Oh, there's a bit of that. You kind of feel foolish, but I think like one, all, all it's there is just to connect people. And then, and then it's like a normal date after that. It's, and you're like, do I, do I care to pursue this or not? But we clicked right away. So it was, it was just funny. Not something I would have expected. Honestly, it was really God orchestrating things. And if you just look how, how well we really mesh together, it's just funny. That's a great story. Um, Something I didn't know. So thanks for sharing that. Staying on the faith journey, how are you able to integrate your faith in your classroom? Because I know that's, that's what we're all about at Cedarville. So how do you integrate faith and learning? I think for me, I, I try to just talk about areas where, you know, in healthcare, I have either failed or I've seen other people fail or struggle with. So for me, I remember when I was a resident and I was training, I was rounding with the team on the infectious disease teaching service. Okay. And we would often see patients who were injecting IV drugs. Um, why we were involved is they had infections related to that. So they'd have heart valve infections. They've had, they'd have abscesses on their arms, you name it. And after a while, it kind of becomes a little taxing because it's the same people over and over and over who keep coming back and they never really listen. That was at least our observation. And so a lot of my colleagues they got very cynical and I started to get that way. And then I remember walking into a room one day and the, the patient was just sitting there crying and I hadn't expected it. Cause I went in there and asked him a few questions and he, he's just, he says he just wants to be done with everything. Mm. And so I sat down and we talked for a long time and um, eventually he allowed me to kind of share my faith with him. Um, and, and for me, it was, it was a good check because it reminded me that I can't be like everyone else, as tempting as it is. And I was leaning towards being really cynical about people. Mm -hmm. But 
that, that patient that I worked with was no different than me. I mean, I, I could easily make the same mistakes and I make lots of other mistakes that he probably doesn't. Right. Um, so it was a good check for me. And that's a great thing I can share in the classroom now as an example to say like this, we have to be above this. We have to be better than this. Um, and so I talk about my own failing there where I, I acted that way and what I learned from it. And, and so I, I think through those types of things, it really helps students to realize that you can be really authentic um, in living out your faith as you practice. Oh, that's fabulous. I have time for maybe two more questions. Uh, you've been very busy working in Dayton at area hospitals. You're currently preparing for the new school year. You're doing media interviews while also sheltering in place during the pandemic. So what lessons are you learning through these unprecedented times? I think one of the big things I've been learning is how we should respond in a crisis like this as a body of believers. And I've seen lots of good examples and I've seen lots of bad examples. And my hope is that I've tried to be a good example as much as I can. And I can't promise that I've done things right. perfectly, but, but I know that people look to us and they perhaps pay a little bit more attention to us. So when we don't respond in the best way, we really don't bring people to Christ. And the, the author of division is, is right. Satan, right? So we need to work to try to bring people together as much as we can and, and to build up and not tear down. So that's been a huge lesson for me. And I, I know I'm just a subject to making the same mistakes and acting the same way that everyone else does. So I guess I'm on guard against myself more than I would have been before. Another big thing I think that I'm kind of learning through these times is really God positions people and equips them in ways that you don't expect. So here's something ironic. My second least favorite subject in pharmacy school was infectious disease. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I hated it. Didn't want anything to do with it. But I had some great mentors during my residency training and where I trained, uh, the current president of the Infectious Disease Society of America, that, that's where he practice, practices. So I had the opportunity to kind of learn through him and other mentors and, and they made me better at it. And God positioned me in a way to be here right now that I would never have thought of. Right. So that, that's just been kind of an amazing thing to think about. So you didn't like infectious disease because it was hard? What was the issue? Uh, it was hard. It was very hard. I didn't know how to study for it appropriately. I was, I was good at other things. I was great at cardiology in school, but infectious disease and I just didn't get along too well for a long time. Wow. I, I would never know that. Neither would the people who have counted on your expertise over the last several months. As you move into the start of a new school year, uh, we're, we're just maybe, what, two, three weeks out. What are you most excited about? I'm just excited to get to see the students again. Um, it was a rough way to end the year, I would say, right. moving things online. And as, as a personal example, I had students that were freshmen and I was their advisor for, for seven years and I didn't get to see them walk across the stage. And so yeah. for me, I, I just am looking forward to engaging with students face-to-face -face again. Yeah, it's, I think there's a lot of people on campus who feel the same way, whether they're faculty or staff. The way last year ended was a challenge, uh, not just for students, but for the faculty and staff. So. My last question to you, as you've dealt with the pandemic, as you've studied God's word, and has he taught you anything special? What's he teaching you right now? Um, I, I think God is really just, for me, teaching me that even when I think the world is spinning around you, you need to do your best to try to remain flexible and, and to be humble and open to the views of other people, even when you're in disagreement with them. 
And, and for me, I think that's been a really important lesson to take away from all of this. You know, I've, I've mentioned it several times now, this is a time for us to, to build unity and to strengthen our bonds with each other, not tear each other down. And that's just something I, I keep having put on my heart over and over and over. Yeah, that's a good lesson for all of us to learn, because if if we're not unified, if we're not uh, being positive and encouraging and helping, then no one is. And that's part of our job. So I pray that you uh, do that well. I, I'm sure you do. And uh, thank you for uh, being a source of wisdom during a very chaotic and trying time in our country with the pandemic. And thank you for doing numerous interviews when I call you on the spur of the moment. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I often hesitate. What, what's that going to say? But uh, you always come through very positively and seem willing to do it. So um, thank you for doing that because you're making a big difference in our world during this pandemic. So thanks. And thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory. God's glory.